0: Welcome to Radical AI, a podcast about technology, power, society, and what it means to be human in the age of information. We are your hosts, Dylan and Jess. We're two PhD students with different backgrounds researching AI and technology ethics.
1: In this episode, we interviewed Dr. Jonathan Flowers about the 101 of Twitter versus Mastodon, the power dynamics of the Fediverse, and potential paths forward in our digital lives.
0: Jonathan Flowers is an assistant professor of philosophy at California State University, Northridge. His research areas include African-American intellectual history, Japanese aesthetics, American pragmatism, philosophy of disability, and philosophy of technology. Jonathan also works in the area of science and technology studies, where he applies insights from American pragmatism, philosophy of race, and disability studies to current issues of human-computer interaction, artificial intelligence, and machine learning.
1: And in the spirit of our episode today on Twitter versus Mastodon, we have some exciting news to share with you all. Uh, drum roll, please, Dylan. Drum roll. <laughs> I'm doing it. I'm doing it in
0: the background. It's not being picked up on the mic. Drum roll. But I'm
1: doing it. <laughs> Um, we have a mastodon now. We finally got a mastodon account. We joined. We joined the train, and we still have our Twitter only, account. Only eight months late. Only- Six months late. Eight months late. <laughs> However, many months late. Yeah, so we we missed the first wave, but um, we, we've we heard a lot of you ask us to make an account because you're only on Mastodon now, and we want to make sure we stay connected to our community. So we are going to be keeping our Twitter. We still also have our LinkedIn account, and now we have a Mastodon account, so we're just slowly infiltrating every social media account that we possibly can. And if you'd like to follow us, um, you can find us at RadicalAIPod at HCI.social. Um, and please also tell us how to use Mastodon when you follow us because <laughs> there's a steep learning curve. And we discussed that a little bit in this episode. So um, we're very grateful for Jonathan for informing us about some of the nuances of the Fediverse as we navigate this complex space. And also some of the pros and cons of these different platforms that that we're already experiencing. But also we'd love to hear from you and, and what your experiences have been. So we hope to see you over on Mastodon. And with that, we uh, are very excited to share with you this interview with Dr. Jonathan Flowers.
0: We're on the line today with Jonathan Flowers. Jonathan, how are you doing today?
2: Uh, I'm fine. Um, It's a sunny California morning, so I'm pretty good.
0: Awesome. Um, Well, today we're talking about Twitter, Mastodon, and things that are connected uh, to that. And we'll see where the conversation takes us. I think just to orient listeners, um, if you can bring us back several months or however long ago it was um, when Mastodon uh, became this hub for um, HCI folks, but also in general as a response to what was happening on Twitter at the time. Can you just contextualize that moment?
2: Uh, sure. Yeah. So this took place when uh, Elon Musk uh, took over as CEO of Twitter and uh, made particular kinds of promises to either reinstate the accounts of known bad actors or to, uh, as he put it, civilize uh, the digital public square and a lot of folks in marginalized communities and in other spaces took uh, offense to that well i w- I can't actually say they took, took offense to that they were rightfully worried about the ensuring uh or the ensuing conflict uh between like what uh what elon musk said he wanted to do with the uh platform and with the ways that they'd been using the platform previously uh, and so what ended up happening was uh, a number of individuals individuals went looking for Twitter alternatives, um, and I'm using the language of alternative and not replacement specifically because, uh, well, we'll get into that in a second. But um, they went looking for Twitter alternatives uh, to avoid the kinds of issues not only brought on by Musk's uh, kind of takeover of Twitter, but by brought on by uh, the kind of or the, the kind of environment uh, of Twitter that kind of uh, reemerged uh, in the wake of Musk's takeover. And so uh, folks uh, kind of situated on Mastodon as one such alternative um, and began to move en masse to Mastodon. Now, to be clear, this isn't the first time that this has happened, right? There have been other kinds of waves of migrations from uh, from Twitter or other social media sites to Mastodon, each with uh, their own unique kind of uh, issues. But the the issues that they encounter, right, or the issues that they encountered uh, in the migration are all typically parallel and all uh, tend to cluster around certain. Um, I guess I would say environmental features of Uh, Mastodon itself as a social media platform.
1: Could you briefly describe what Mastodon is for our listeners who have maybe heard of it but have never actually quite understood what it is or don't have one of their own accounts and also why Mastodon is the go-to alternative for these platform migrations?
2: Um, I wouldn't say Mastodon is the go-to to alternative it is a go-to alternative and that's mostly given the the size and reach of the platform right so Mastodon is a decentralized uh, social media uh, de- decentralized social media platform right it's run on the activity pub uh, protocol I believe yes it, it it runs on the Activity call, uh, Pub protocol that uh, allows for uh, interconnected communication among different websites that use the Activity Pub protocol, which includes uh, all of the Mastodon servers, but also includes uh, things like PixelFed and PeerTube and uh, some other uh, websites that. Run on the ActivityPub uh, protocol, so any software that you or any software that like uh, implements what Mastodon calls federation uh, via the ActivityPub protocol can connect and communicate with with Mastodon or other uh, such sites uh, in a broad kind of decentralized network called the Fediverse, right? Um, now this is, this is where, uh, this is one of the things that actually got me into some hot water among like long-term, uh, Mastodonians and whatnot. Mastodon isn't the actual thing. The activity pub protocol is the thing. Mastodon is just one site built on top of the activity pub protocol. But since the activity pub protocol is like an email protocol, right? Um, So like with email, you've got Gmail, you've got Hotmail if you are like ancient, uh, you've got uh, your institutional or business uh, supplied email. All of these are emails. All of these are running on the same protocol, but they're using different websites, different servers to host the protocol so they can all talk to one another uh mastodon or activity pub works like that mastodon just happens to be the largest one um so when people say follow me on mastodon this is kind of like shorthand for like follow me on the pet- fediverse right so i'm not on mastodon i'm on uh like zerk.us but i will still use mastodon as the shorthand to refer to it and uh some of the more uh i guess touchy uh denizens of the fediverse uh, take offense at, uh, say, referring to all uh, websites that use the activity pub protocol as Mastodon. But like, I mean, there's realistically no way around it. So so that's the long and short of what, what Mastodon is. And that's kind of what makes it different from something like Twitter. You can set up your own Mastodon server and invite all of your friends or like-minded individuals, and then decide what other servers you wanna connect with through the the process of federation. If you have like a server, say you are a Chicago Bears fan and there is a Green Bay Packer uh, server called like Packerville, you can defederate from Packerville and uh, folks from Packerville won't be able to like uh, see, the posts on, you know, Bearstown and uh, vice versa, right? Uh, It allows for control over, it allows for some kinds of control over the content that ends up on your server because folks have to share links into different servers. It also means that if you need to find somebody, right, you have to know their handle, uh, navigate to their specific profile, and add them as a, a friend, especially if they're not on your server, right? Uh, then you can see their their uh, well, they called them toots, but that's like a word for a fart. But you can see their posts on your uh, on your feed vis a vis following them. But uh, the discovery is less organic than on other social media sites, and it requires more. Um, user input to, to find one uh, one another's friends. And so this gets us to why folks, you know, uh, why Mastodon was a popular alternative to um twitter because you could control your your server control who's on your server you could um, essentially curate the kinds of individuals you wanted to engage with uh, within your community Uh, additionally because you could control who was on your server you can also um, shape the uh, the kinds of stuff that appeared on your your server's global feed um, which allowed for an unprecedented level of control. Uh, not all that dissimilar from like moderating a subreddit, except if that subreddit was basically like was Twitter-esque. Uh, the other reason why folks gravitated to Mastodon is because there are a lot of LGBTQ uh, designers involved in the initial setup of the activity pub uh, protocol in fact the 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 history that Macedonians will tell um, is about or is essentially that there were a bunch of LGBTQ uh, folks in the tech space who particularly trans folks who were tired of the uh, the harassment they got on Twitter and they were tired of the ways that the affordances of Twitter things like quote tweets and uh, other such things were would be weaponized to uh, to basically deal out violence towards them, and so they built the activity ActivityPub uh, protocol uh, and the Fediverse to like avoid that kind of thing uh, by writing out some of those um, uh, some of those uh, affordances, things like. Quote retreat tweets are not possible on Mastodon, though you could probably code it in fairly easily and run it and launch it on your server, um, things like that.
0: One idea or set of ideas that you brought up at the beginning of this conversation was around whether Mastodon is an alternative versus a replacement and some of the, I guess, rhetoric around that. And I remember at the beginning, I like, I made a mastodon real quick and then I got really, really overwhelmed. And I was like, this is really complex and it's not like the language that I speak or or whatever. And so I was like, I was there, but then I was also I noticed myself moving back to Twitter partially because for me of some of the familiarity. But I'm wondering maybe at the beginning or maybe now, that tension between replacement versus um, alternative, and how you've seen that tension
1: play out?
2: Well, so I think it was a a mistake to even think about the concept of a Twitter replacement, right? Because, one, Twitter, while it is a social media platform, it's an assemblage of of code and... uh, run, or it's an assemblage of code that runs on a bunch of servers that allows us to talk to one one another. Uh, So while it it, it is a social media platform, it's also a cultural institution. And uh, insofar as it's a cultural institution, it has taken up a kind of outsized role within our contemporary cultural space. And as a result, replacing Twitter, I think, is a, uh, a kind of fool's errand you just as soon say replace something like uh, email, right? Um, Or uh, yeah, you just as soon replace something like like email uh, given its ubiquitousness and the ways that it has come to occupy a uh, a fairly large uh, portion of our, uh, you know, cultural consciousness is real estate, right? So in Captain America, uh, the Winter Soldier, right? At the end of the movie, when um, uh, when Black Widow dumps all of Shield's files out onto the internet, uh, one of the things she says about it is, ooh, it's trending, right? And so even in a fictional universe like Marvel, or like the, the MCU, the Twitter, or Twitter occupies this kind of outsized uh, space in the cultural consciousness, and they've got like, Gods flying around and whatnot. So in 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 real life, right? Replacing Twitter, I think, is a fool's errand because Twitter, for for better or worse, has been treated as if it is a uh, a digital commons, a public square where folks have been folks can be heard, uh, things like that. And in in some respects, it has operated that way, but only because we have treated it that way. And insofar as we have treated it that way, we have the expectations that the uh, that the both legal and uh, moral rights that uh, apply in other uh, common spaces should also apply to Twitter, when that is absolutely not the case, because Twitter is a privately owned platform. And uh, as such, we are subject to the, the rules who, of the people who, who uh, run it. So to be clear, I don't think you can replace Twitter, because I, uh, I don't think there is any other application that has a similar uh, space within our cultural uh context within our cultural milieu uh instagram snapchat chat TikTok, all those occupy different spaces and do different things because they are different platforms with different kinds of affordances different kinds of technical features that allow people to do things so the replacement talk i think was uh, was misguided from from the the beginning. The alternative talk is a little bit better because it's like you know you can talk about Android as an alternative to iPhones, right? You can talk about uh, you know electric vehicles as as an alternative to a uh, internal combustion engine. Uh, this acknowledges that w- there is not yet the capacity to replace this thing that has occupied our uh, cultural milieu. Uh, but it also makes clear that you can use these things in the in the same space and this actually gets you uh gets me to to something you said uh something you said dylan right when you created your account you were overwhelmed by everything same thing for with me when i created my account on mastodon the server i was overwhelmed with everything because i literally could not control my news feed there was so much information so many posts um, and I had to like go in and start mucking with the, the settings to make it slow down so that it could be usable. And even then I was like, I can't find my, I, I could barely find my friends. Not all of this is relevant. There's no organic search feature. Uh, Mastodon is the way that I, d- I describe it is that Mastodon is to Twitter. What uh, Linux is to uh, Windows, right? Windows will show up and hide all of the things that um make the operating system go, If uh, and if you want to see what was going on with your operating system, you have to go through the the command prompt, or you have to go through the um, task manager window, you have to go through all of the utilities that uh, newer versions of Windows increasingly try to to keep hidden, hidden, much to my annoyance, um, versus uh, something like Linux, where you, you have near infinite control over the way that your UI and your uh, or your interface and your operating system actually works, right? But if you are a new person to something like Linux or Mastodon uh, without looking up a guide or anything, it becomes immediately overwhelming. And actually one of the problems uh, Uh, This gets to one of the primary differences between uh, Twitter and Mastodon. Your experience on Mastodon or the ActivityPub protocol will change based on the server that you join. If you join something like Mastodon, which is the largest server, you will be inundated with uh, with posts about things that you, you don't generally care about. You'll have to spend a lot of time curating your home feed and curating the hashtags that you follow. Uh, in order to understand, or in order to get it to some place that is comfortable in a social media sense, and that requires uh, a fair bit of tinkering under the hood. Uh, so I spent a couple of days on on like Mastodon itself, the the server, and then moved to uh, uh, Zerk, uh, which is a smaller server. Uh, it's and the the difference was like night and day. Um, I still had to set my feed to like slow mode because that was more comfortable for me. But like the kinds of of, of posts, the kinds of individuals I was interacting with, so on and so forth, all were were a little bit more uh, comfortable, a little bit more familiar to the social media experience that I had been used to, uh, not just on Twitter but on on things like reddit and uh you know even old bbs uh type situations right so uh that is one of the, the primary differences between Macedon and twitter Ma- Mast and it, this leads to a, a particular kind of attitude among uh i guess Macedonians who've been there for a long time uh regarding the uh regarding the use of the uh of the platform and its technical affordances um, uh, which is something we can get into in a in a little bit,
1: yeah, I would love to go back to this comparison that you just made briefly about this, you know, Linux versus um like other operating systems that are maybe a little bit easier to understand and i I imagine like you know there are diehard Linux users where they they mm-hmm. refuse to like buy a a Mac, for example, even though Mac runs on Unix, but they're like diehard (laughs) Linux users and they like refuse to, to use this like more centralized operating system. And then there are people who are diehard Mac users and they have easier to understand and use features but they are now like beholden to whatever Apple does with that operating system. Whereas like the Linux users, it's like a harder learning curve, but now they are the ones who are in control. And I, I agree, I think I, we, we're seeing this play out on like Mastodon and in the Fediverse, where you have like really difficult to understand and to use features, but you are now the one in control. Versus the Twitter users who are people like, I don't know, like myself and Dylan, who are like, oh, my gosh, this is just way too much to learn. Like, let's just stick with what we know, even though now we are beholden to, like, Elon Musk, I guess, and, like, the other, like the, the Twitter world. And so um, I can see and I have experienced some of the tensions between this decentralized versus centralized affordances. And I'm curious, in your experience what what has your experience been? Do you prefer this decentralized platform versus centralized? Like what are some of the pros and cons of each based off of like how it's um, impacted your own social media experience?
2: Um, so there's a couple of things I can say about this, right? So the decentralized nature of Mastodon means that any migration from someplace like Twitter uh unless there is a concerted effort to uh move an entire say network of folks onto the same server results in the fracturing of communities and social networks that uh were established due to the centralized nature of uh, of twitter right so i so i picked zerk.us on the basis of uh, some of my colleagues' recommendations, uh, and because it, it's kind of a an academic-ish um, server. Uh, once I was there, I was able to find a whole bunch of other folks and connect with them. Um, and in doing that, I was able to, like, reconstitute a lot of my, uh, my social media uh, networks or social networks that were hosted on these platforms while simultaneously, like, you know, connecting with new people who I also connected with over over back on Twitter. Uh, so one of the the primary effects that the decentralized uh, the federal or decentralized nature of the Fediverse has is in is shattering social networks in a in a migration unless there is a intentional um, move to a specific server which will preserve those um, those networks. But you know, given that the the um, given that the the majority of individuals aren't aren't so coordinated, right? Uh, Like, so for example, uh, something like disability Twitter, right, is centralized on Twitter, but broadly spread out across different interests, different occupations, different uh, ways of being disabled in the world. And these lead to, uh, in a migration, these lead to say, You know, joining different kinds of servers. And insofar as that that that's the case, right, what happens is it it shatters the social uh, network that formed due to the centrality of uh, of Twitter. So folks will have to find one another again uh, in a kind of pretty long and uh, sometimes arduous process, uh, and this process gets even more complicated if somebody disc or somebody just picks a server at random, joins it, discovers that server is not to their liking, moves servers, and like uh, doesn't quite fully understand the, how uh, shifting servers works on Mastodon because that too is a technical process uh, that not that not everybody has the the time or patience to do. Um, and so what happens is you end up with these fracturing of social social networks. Uh, but also what happens on is is that on Twitter? When you, if you have an individual who serves as a kind of node in the network, right, and that person migrates, say, fully to some place like Mastodon, and everyone else doesn't or or cannot, for a variety of reasons, accessibility included, then you lose that node in the social network on Twitter, and so the the information that they would have circulated or recirculated is lost within that network, and so. Um, whole areas of that network start going dark. I think of it like um, in uh, in like disaster movies when they show a, a kind of eye in the sky view of a city and like a power plant goes out, right? You can see the different neighborhoods start winking out um, as in a kind of like Slow collapse of the network, right? That's the kind of thing that 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 happens when you have someone uh, on or on Twitter in, in a uh, a community of identity that just vanishes and goes to someplace like Mastodon. The information no longer circulates. The people they were connected with are disconnected from the broader network. And this disconnection, uh leads to uh the lack of circulation of information within these social networks but for my part right so i as i said i joined, initially joined the the mastodon server found it too large too overwhelming moved to zerk found it less uh overwhelming and easier to navigate and then uh spent the next uh i guess week or so Finding everybody, right? And I want to say I spent the next week finding everybody because that's literally how long it took to find uh, the majority of my mutuals um, in other places on Mastodon because the process of finding your 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 folks is not as organic or seamless as it is on on Twitter. And so there was there was an entire week of me simply reconstituting the people not not people who I uh, who I want necessarily wanted to follow me, but the people who I wanted to follow so that I could see their content, right? And they're spread out, out across a whole bunch of different servers. Um, and so yeah, that, that was a week. And then I started uh, posting about Mastodon and that was a fun time, Let me uh, right? That was a, a very fun time. So uh, I, I, I give this example a couple of times. So it took, um so I my Twitter account is is I guess oldish but it took me a couple of years for me to to say something on Twitter that got um you know academics of a variety of stripes and other folks to actually show up in my mentions and start heaping abuse on me right it took me 2 days on Mastodon to do the same thing um Simply by posting about some concerns I had about the platform, right? And so the, the moderators of Zerk actually caught uh, a bunch of like, you know, trolls and other uh, noted bad actors well before I noticed them in my feed. So kudos to them but that points to another issue with uh, at least with the experience of Mastodon like how the kinds of abuse you might be subject to and the ways that they're understand understood as abuse are uh, at the discretion of your server moderator. Now to be clear now to be clear right this is similar to Twitter where like understanding what gets flagged as abusive contents and what uh, you know what users get banned is at the whim of Elon Musk and the now non-existent like Twitter safety folks but um, on Mastodon it's a little bit different like you could be on a server with a uh, moderator who simply does not understand what ableist abuse is right and they wouldn't understand why you are reporting these accounts for saying things that seem innocuous to them Um, and insofar as that's the the case right it becomes a case by case basis. Now we can say, I will say that Twitter's you know, moderation policies are generally garbage, but their policies, they're applied to everybody uh, or ideally applied to everybody. I can't even say that for certain, right? They're ideally supposed to be applied to everybody. They're ideally rules that everyone has to follow on Mastodon, the only rules you have to follow are the rules that are relative to your server, right? So if another server is, is you know, a gigantic troll farm and enjoys abusing people, right? There's nothing you can really do about them except either defederate for them, from them or get your moderators to, to ban them as opposed to uh, on Twitter. Like there are folks who are like just clearly, you know, bad actors and they typically, they, in an ideal world, they get banned. In Elon Musk's world, who knows what happens, right? Um, but uh, at the very least, you can block them, and uh, you have there exists some kind of um, some kind of punitive structure to prevent them from doing bad things. On Mastodon, you have to hope that your server has strong moderation policies. Uh, and that your moderators are, are, you know, active and real good about that because they're not getting paid. Um, and they're not uh, receiving uh, the kinds of support that like a Twitter moderation team does, that sort of thing. And so it's up to them to play like whack-a-mole with, with trolls with limited resources. So there's there's that kind of a, an issue, right? Um, so to get back to what I was, or to your question, right? So. I, I made a couple of posts on on Mastodon about the general feel and climate of the space, right? It is a very uh, uh, tech person oriented, a very tech organized space. And it has all of the cultural modes of conduct that come with it, Uh, the expectation that you follow certain kinds of behavioral or social rules, that you use the platform's affordances in ways that they intend and not that uh, align or... That may not align with uh, how you want to use those affordances, and insofar as uh, that produces a clash between uh, the ways that a person may culturally want to use the platform and the ways that the uh, the community expects you to use the platform, you end up with a lot of uh, a lot of friction between uh, communities and individuals. Uh, on the basis of what is ostensibly a culture clash, because to be clear, right, the tech space, uh, the maker tech space, particularly, because that's the kind of space that um, you know Mastodon is aligned with, is a very white, very male space, right? Uh, despite the history of Mastodon being established by queer coders, the 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 run of the mill denizen is a very kind of you know white male, I I'm I'm going to say it, white male tech bro type, right? Um, and this results in uh, Mastodon as a uh, as a cultural space as what Sarah Med calls an institution, reflecting the kinds of norms and habits of the individuals that primarily comprise it. Right. So Sarah Med has this theory about institutions that they they aren't just pre given; they are formed uh, by or they are formed through the ways in which individuals come into like association and insofar as as like or insofar as individuals that are alike come together the habits of these alike individuals will give shape to the institution and that institution will be able to extend the kinds of things that they do other individuals who are not like those, uh, the people who are already in place at the, or within the institution will find it more difficult to fit in, uh, in a literal sense, uh, into the institution. And this is what happens with Mastodon and the, uh, the expectations for how we should, or how the, uh, the affordances of the platform should and should not be used. In fact, there are a number of like op-eds uh, that came out about this, uh, particularly one uh, that said uh, that was talking about Mastodons' eternal summer being over uh, because a whole bunch of folks have uh, uh, a whole bunch of folks from from uh, from Twitter have come in, right? The uh, actually it was it's slash uh, home invasion right? And he says here um, uh, or he says here that. Uh, For those of us who have been using Mastodon for a while, this week has been overwhelming. I've been thinking of metaphors to try and understand why I found it so upsetting. This is supposed to be what we wanted, right? And he's referring to the migration of new users. Uh, Yet it feels like something else, like when you're sitting in a quiet carriage, softly chatting with a couple of friends, and then an entire platform of football fans gets on at Jalamont Station after their team lost. They don't usually catch trains and don't know the protocol. They assume everyone at the train was at the game or at least follows football. They crowd the doors and complain about the seat uh, configuration. Right. Uh, So this is so if you think about this, uh, I mean, since I'm a philosopher of technology, as well as a a philosopher of race, gender, sexuality and disability. um, If you think about this from a philosophical perspective, what he's basically describing is a complaint about Immigrants bringing their own culture into a space that has been culturally homogenous and disrupting, and uh, either not following or disrupting the established norms of the space. Um, so, in insofar as that's the the case, right? You have uh, you you have this tension between folks on Twitter or folks who came from Twitter with their own codes of conduct their own uh, ways of being in digital space many of which are culturally coded and Andre blocks uh, Andre Brock's book on this is amazing um, but so so this this culture clash right um, Threatens the bodies that are already in, in place, and they view these incoming folks as a threat. And the and Hugh Grundle's piece is is shot through with all of this, right? Uh, you know, it's so for example, he's like, uh, my my post was now getting hundreds of interactions, thousands. I've had over 250 follow requests since then, so many that I can't bear to look at them, and I have no criteria by which to judge who to accept or reject. Um, early this week, I realized that some people had cross-posted my Mastodon post into Twitter. Someone else had posted a screenshot of it on Twitter. Nobody thought to ask if I wanted that, right? Um, and he calls the, the the entire experience here traumatic, so on and so forth. But um, and not to dis- discount his, his feelings, I'm sure there is some form of trauma experienced with that. But what he's what What this is, if you think about this, as I do, from the perspective of philosophy of race and from the perspective of the racial organization, the racialized, gendered and sexualized organization of uh of the tech community particularly spaces, right this is a very white reaction to a whole bunch of folks of color showing up being and i'm putting this in scare quotes for for those of you listening loud and noisy in their in, in their nice quiet safe white neighborhood it's it's um amusing that among uh some of my colleagues of color we call or we called mastodon the HOA of social medias, right? Because they they really came down hard um, it, on uh, demanding adherence to the social and cultural norms of the space uh, such that you had to use the affordances of the platform in the ways that they demanded, otherwise you weren't doing it right, uh, you weren't using it appropriately, so on and so forth. It, um, I joke to one colleague, right, that some of these complaints sound like, um, you know, older siblings complaining about their um, uh, their younger siblings turtling in the corner in Street Fighter and just throwing out low kicks. You're not playing it right. You won't let me play with you in the way that I want to. And I'm like, and and that that metaphor is apt. Nobody like I I don't there there's no requirement that says I have to use. affordances in in particular ways and so this is so the this is kind of the the ground uh of the uh, issue here right so when hugh grundle says suddenly having hundreds of people asking or not to join these those conversations without having acclimatized themselves to the social norms felt like a violation assault and i know i'm not the only one who felt like this so that 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 thinking, right—that uh, folks bringing in their own ways of using digital platforms, own ways of being in digital spaces, are like assaults, right, or a violation of what is to be expected—is uh, is pretty strong language. But it also re- uh, reflects a kind of entitlement to particular kinds of comfort, and entitlement to particular uh, or to people showing up in these spaces in particular ways. And this is actually not new right? Um, in as I mentioned, pre, there were previous migrations, and they also had this problem. So me being a philosopher, who particularly an American pragmatist who thinks about these things in terms of histories that accumulate and give shape to things, right? So if Mastodon has a history of these kinds of like tensions or uh, teething problems with each successive wave of people who come into the platform, then one of the things that I'm thinking about is uh, not what what is it, or what kind of a platform has these problems? but what kind of a platform makes problems or makes possible these problems? And realistically, it's a platform who's uh, that uh, demands certain kinds of community norms, norms that are connected uh, directly to to whiteness as um, uh, given Mastodon's kind of uh, broad affiliation with uh, with tech maker spaces. Um, which means that lar- largely these comments are aimed at uh, at non-white users. Right. Uh, and so there's a history of Mastodon and Macedonians abusing, uh, attacking and otherwise um, marginalizing their, their non-white, uh, non-white users. And so this is this was my general experience. Right. I I literally wrote several, actually a lot of threads pointing all of this out. And Mastodon users were not happy. And what was interesting was it wasn't your run of, it's not like it was on, or it's not like it's on Twitter where if I were to make a thread, say, criticizing uh, somebody for their transphobia uh, and, you know, include some some relevant information, it's not like um, on, or it's not like on Twitter where that person's like, Rabid followers would descend upon my mentions and and flood them with, well, you clearly don't, uh, you clearly don't know basic biology. There are two sexes, that kind of thing. Not actual discourse. No, this is a little bit different, right? What happened was, you got people who would be, or you had people who would be making articulate uh, and pointed arguments for why folks should just assimilate. Uh, which in any other context would be massively racist, sexist, homophobic, what have you, but in the context of Mastodon, it's just the expectation that you follow the unwritten rules, and the unwritten part is important here because nobody's telling you what to do, right? You only understand them when you run afoul of them, and so like, uh, given, uh, and part of this was is due to the tech adjacent organization of Mastodon. These folks are used to. Articulating um, their points with logic. And I'm putting that in scare quotes because it is not the formal logic that uh, I would teach my uh, freshmen. Uh, They're used to uh, providing use cases and all these other things. It was a very it was a very engineering way of trying to solve a social problem, right? Because people would, would be asking me for, give me a discrete example that fulfills all of these criteria so that I can understand best what you're talking about and any, no other example will do, or explain this to me in a way that somebody who isn't a humanities major will, will get. I actually got that as a response. Um, you know, Use something other than like technical jargon. I'm like, listen, like i these there are and this is going to be an aside there are entire disciplines who that are aimed at uh at analyzing and understanding the human experience broadly construed we call them the humanities and the social sciences uh, the social sciences historically were supposed to act as a bridge between the humanities and the sciences, but at some point the sciences decided to throw the baby out with the bad bath, bathwater. So sociological and philosophical analysis of the uh, the racialized and other dynamics of Mastodon are the tools necessary to solve what is a social problem. Folks were asking me for highly technical responses, and I would give them highly technical answers. But not in the not the technical sense that they wanted. They wanted like clear cases of, of you know of bugs they could fix. right? So it's it's like one of my mentors said, um, if a, um, an engineer sees the, a problem of getting access to uh, a public forum as an engineering problem, they're just going to say, build more doors on the forum. But when there's a whole set of policies that are intended to keep you from getting into the forum, building more doors won't matter. This is So this is pretty much the, the problem that, that I, I ran into. Um, and so all of this, to, to wrap up this very long answer to a really simple question, all of this comes back to the ways in which Mastodon, as a, uh, as a cultural and social space, is... Tech adjacent and takes up the habits and modes of conduct privileged by the dominant bodies within that space, which happen to be like white tech bros. Uh, despite the uh, despite Mastodon's history as being uh, or d- despite Mastodon and Activity Pub's history as being established by uh, by queer folks, which is in the, the history thing is something that we probably should talk about, but uh, I will let you get uh, our I, I assume you have lots more questions here.
0: No, I, I think I think get get into that. <laughs> that that sounds great. I was gonna go to another another question, um, but yeah, getting I think getting a, a bit, just a bit into that history because that seems like a core tension here. Of and, and also just to name that, this podcast episode is coming out several months after Mastodon came on the scene, and a, after that, and so we're looking back a little bit at the history. Mm-hmm. So far, but I'm wondering if you can put the original, I guess, original also in scare quotes. Um, but the the history happening in the creation of that platform, with I guess what what we've seen, and then maybe just as we move towards closing, think about or uh, I guess we maybe we can reflect on like what happens next, um, maybe sure. practically, and then also in an ideal world.
2: <laughs> so uh, so the history. Uh, so here I'm going to use some fancy jargon. Uh, Thomas Alexander and his Book uh, uh, the Human Eros, uh, which is a Deweyan take on on culture, uh, narrative, aesthetic experience. Right, coins this uh, this term mythoi, right, and a mythoi is an organizing narrative for a community, a group, a people. It's everything from America's myth uh, of We the People to uh, the narrative of the civil rights movement that organizes. Uh, say the African American community to uh, the narratives that sports fans tell about themselves, uh, about the you know the return of, to greatness of their their chosen sport uh, community. Nar- Mythoi uh, are not false narratives, right? So this is not talking about a a grand myth about. Uh, whatever. These are not false narratives. These are organizing narratives that tell a person uh, who they are, where they are, where they've come from, and where they're going. And so I, I provide that background to say that the, uh, the history of LGBTQ uh, participation in the development of the activity pro- protocol is a mythoid. Right, it tells people where Mastodon came from, where it's going, what it intended to do, and it allows uh, folks to situate Mastodon among these different platforms. So the the mythoi go, or the the mythoi of Mastodon goes like this, and this is a true story, right? So uh, a large number of LGBTQ uh, tech folks uh, early on in uh, the history of Twitter were quite upset about the way in which Twitter was uh, was basically being used uh, to heap abuse upon them right and in response they they put their their skills to use and built the activity pub as a kind of like haven away from Twitter other folks discovered it due to its modular nature due to the federated nature of the different instances and it grew from there but at its core it was developed by uh, you know LGBTQ um, uh, tech persons uh, as a kind of refuge away from the the, the the broad kind of violence they were experiencing on Twitter. Now, uh, this mythoi is important because it purportedly tells you where Mastodon came from and where it's going. And so Mastodonians, in response to, say, criticisms about, the say, the overwhelming whiteness of the space, the ways that the cultural norms of Mastodon are... Um, the ways that the cultural norms of Mastodon tend to privilege some ways of showing up in digital space and not others. Uh, The ways that the uh, say the insistence of of, uh, say discussions of race and racism under uh, the content warning uh, structure which would hide them from view uh, from anybody on the timeline unless they clicked on them. Uh, That as a broad community norm shared across multiple instances. all of these these kinds of things, uh, which I associated with the, uh, the the kind of whiteness of Mastodon, were defended through right. presenting the mythoi of Mastodon as being established by LGBTQ folks to avoid violence. Right. So how can you say that Mastodons? Cultural and social norms are, are racist, or that they privilege whiteness, when the history of Mastodon is such that queer folks put it together. And you know, I don't know what to tell them, but as a you know, as a bisexual black man, I have learned that queer folks can be racist too. So that's not a effective defense. But it was presented as a uh, an argument against taking seriously uh, the concerns of marginalized people and. Uh, in, in fact is one of the that kind of defense was used um in or for justification for uh you know uh, in response to complaints about a uh, particular targeted attacks on um you know a black run uh, mastodon instance some what is it 20 several years ago right um this this instance collapsed under i guess racist vitriol uh because folks were generally upset about, I I guess it's existence or the ways in which it insisted upon uh, being present in its full Blackness with all of its, uh, with everything that came with it, including bad experiences on Mastodon, right? Uh, So when I say that, and and that is part of Mastodon's history, the history of the marginalization and mass defederation of, of, you know, of instances of color, which is a funny thing to say, um, of other kinds of instances is part of the history of Mastodon. And it is part of the affordances of Mastodon Insofar as the platform enables this kind of thing to happen and the social, uh, the modes of social conduct actually make it possible for it to happen. So, this is so when I talk about the history of Mastodon, this is one of the things that I, I, you know, I I try to emphasize, right? Mastodon's history isn't just this history of uh, LGBTQ coders creating this wonderful thing and other folks coming and using it for their own purposes. It is also a history of, say, defederation from uh, instances of color. It's a history of using the established social and cultural norms of, uh, of the, the predominantly white tech makerspace to abuse and police uh, the conduct of, uh, of users of color on the platform. It's, um, it's the history of, of misogyny on social media as reproduced through the unique affordances of Macedon um, it is a it is a history that includes all these things, and to to ignore these things in favor of a organizing narrative that says we were developed by LGBTQ refugees from uh, Twitter um, uh, serves to just miss the entire uh, entire point. So that's what I mean by by the history, right? And uh, you, you said some closing thoughts and future directions. To be clear, this is a social problem, right? Um, you cannot affordance your way out of this, right? Mastodon tried by not implementing quote retreats, and yet you still have people showing up and using the affordances of Mastodon to engage in other kinds of abusive uh, abusive tactics, right? You can still dogpile somebody, although not as effectively, uh, but you can still do it using Mastodon's affordances. And the, the federated nature of the uh, of the, the Fediverse means that if you can convince your server mod that this instance of color or this LGBTQ instance is problematic for whatever reason, they can just mass defederate from it, and you can circulate that rumor across different uh, instances to the point where every or the majority of instances defederate from that one instance. Now, granted, most moderators will will kind of check out the claim beforehand, but we've seen this happen. I think there was a uh, an issue where a uh, a journal an instance set up specifically for journalists was. Uh, was rumored to be engaging in some kinds of problematic behavior, that rumor circulated through different instances on the Fediverse and there was a lot of mass defederation going on. Turns out it was a rumor. That is one of the risks of, of the Fediverse. so it's not like uh, you can affordance your way out of it, right? In a in the kind of dystopian kind of uh, racist, cis-sexist, heteropatriarchal hellscape we're living in, right, your uh, bad actors will find ways to use the affordances of your platform to you know abuse others it's not simply the case that you can build a better pro- platform this is not an engineering problem this is a social problem and as a social problem, we need a social solution, right? So it's the the Martin Luther King solution, right? A, uh, a law or a moderation policy might not change someone's heart, but it can keep them from killing me. It can keep them from uh, dogpiling me. It can ke- keep them from hurling racist abuse at me uh, from across my, uh, the platform. But that is a social problem and it requires social solutions. You can't automate your way out of it. You can't affordance your way out of it. Um, and so that's 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 the the my take on the history and and the future. Uh, but if you if you're asking like where do we go from here, Mastodon and Twitter, um, that's a little bit different, right? Um, so since the dust has settled on Twitter with Elon Musk doing whatever he, seemingly whatever he can to break the platform. Uh, one of the things that we're we're learning in real time is the resi- resilience of uh, communities of identity on Twitter, right? So Black Twitter uh, did some kinds of migrations to Mastodon and there's still like, there is a Black Twitter Mastodon instance, but like largely Black Twitter was like, okay, so, you know, old platform, new racists, what's going on here, right? Uh, and so they, you know, they stuck it out. Disability Twitter was was and still is incredibly worried about it because a lot of the the technical changes that uh, Musk has wrought has done some kinds of damage to that community, uh, which is important because uh, Disability Twitter has used the affordances of Twitter not only to engage in political activism, but to engage in mutual aid and provide support for individuals who otherwise would not have it. And Musk's nonsense has uh, has damaged in uh in some senses the ability to do that by changing the way that things become visible uh changing the way that things circulate but disability twitter has rallied and adjusted accordingly so what we're learning is uh that or what we're learning in real time is that even when you have like uh you know and forgive me for saying this a kind of uh, w- actually no this is an easy way to say it. even when apartheid clyde takes over your digital Public square with the intention of civilizing it, you know, communities of resistance will still will will remain and will uh, stand firm in the face of whatever uh, happens there. Um, it just becomes more difficult for for folks to uh, or to um, realize the veracity or authenticity of accounts that are circulating information. So I think where we go from here, I think there's sort of a detente that has settled. Like my, I haven't posted on Zerk in like a couple months. Um, I, I go there to, to look at cats of Mastodon and see what the, uh, the rather thriving Star Trek community is up there. But my mentions are still full of people, um, arguing about, uh, reposting, uh, fighting over, um, Things that I have posted months ago, right? Um, because they're still salient. They they just keep happening, right? Uh, I look at before we started recording. I took a look at my uh, at my mentions, and there was a uh, uh, a a young woman of color who who said. Or who said something to effect that one of my threads about the whiteness of Mastodon perfectly captured her her experience and why she doesn't spend so much time on the platform. And this was something that I had, uh, you know, written out, I guess, around maybe January or February. Um, And it's still... It's still like salient, right? These just because the dust has settled and we're all uh, kind of adapting to the chaos on Twitter doesn't mean the issues that uh, folks encountered on Mastodon have gone away. In fact, I think um, I think the 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 concern is that they're they're just gonna you know subside until the next wave of. Uh, folks and because of uh, folks migrate to the platform because people real the it doesn't seem to me that Macedonians are really interested in altering or changing their their practices to make the space more welcome and that's a travesty because uh, Macedon could be something really cool but it is not a Twitter replacement it is a Twitter alternative and it has some very specific and very cool uses um, uh, so long as you don't run afoul of, of somebody uh, for not using. Um, content warnings uh, or the the content hiding feature inappropriately.
1: Wow. Well, Jonathan, unfortunately, we are out of time. Despite knowing that Dylan and I have so many more questions we could ask you, but thank you so much for sharing your your personal experience and also for all the advocacy you've done on multiple platforms regarding these topics and and also just for sharing you know the, all the history and the risks, the pros, the cons, the affordances, and and a potential path forward and this interesting alternative Fediverse that we have uh, encountered in this community. Yeah. So, thank you so much for for being here and and sharing all that with us.
2: Yeah, no, it's my pleasure. If you if you want me to come back and talk about it again, I'd be only uh, too happy to.
0: We want to thank. Jonathan Flowers, again, for joining us today and for this conversation. As usual, we do a quick outro with Jess and I's thoughts on the conversation and other things that are coming up in our mind spaces around the topic um, of the episode. So Jess, uh, let's start with you. What are you thinking today?
1: So I feel like this topic is still surprisingly timely, even though the Like scandal of Twitter and Mastodon migration, everything happened. When was it? Like the end of 2022, like November, December. Does that sound right? Around
0: that time, at the beginning of the episode, I said either eight months or six months. It could have been four months. I know, (laughs) and I I say that because it was like it was it was a it was a process, right? Like there was an instigating moment, but then it happened in different waves, which we sort of talked about during this interview.
1: Yeah. So I guess it has been a while since the original debacle happened and like the mass migration occurred um and I was a little bit worried that we were going to be doing this episode a little bit too late and that there wouldn't be a whole lot to comment on that was still relevant today but I was actually pleasantly surprised and I think that was in part because um especially with Elon Musk taking over Twitter I feel like the changes that occurred like the rapid fast like move fast and break things mentality that began during that mass migration has just continued to today and unfortunately will continue continuing and um i think something that has been standing out to me in this conversation was the question that i asked jonathan about like what's better to use a platform that has like really seamless ux but we don't have any control over it or to use a platform that's like really difficult to navigate like the Fediverse and Mastodon, but like now we have agency and control as users. And I feel like there's part of me that like really does lean towards this like simplistic, easy UX, like I'll just give away my, my digital rights and my agency on the platform just so I can have like ease of use and I don't have to worry about like different like server instances and things like that. But then there's also been a lot of moments over the last few months where I've like logged onto Twitter, for example, and like the website is just broken. Like it's just straight up broken. Like I'll go to the twitter.com and like the URL is broken. And I'm like, whoa, Twitter has never been broken before. Isn't this supposed to be a platform that I, I'm i supposed to trust, that it, it will always just be there and work? Like it's always been there for me and now it's not there for me anymore And so I think that this this has been sort of like a catalyst for me to just grapple with like how much I trust these big tech corporations, these private tech corporations, and how at the end of the day, like they have no – they do have like a responsibility and a duty to their users, but they don't really have like a legal or moral responsibility or duty to like keep the platform going forever and running in the same way that it always has. And that's like a trust that I – I didn't realize I, I now like lost in a lot of the platforms that I use and I really took for granted before. So yeah, I think that's the first thing coming up in my mind space. What about you? Yeah. I, I think the
0: question of trust is huge here. Um, so in some of the, the work that I'm doing on like death and dying in archives and where do we put our stuff when we die? And then how do people who are bereaved, how do they manage that stuff? There's this assumption that people make that the stuff is always going to be there. That like compared to you know a notepad um, or a letter, like if it's in person, if it's physical, then like that's going to deteriorate over time. But if we put these pictures on iPhoto, if we put these different say tweets uh, out there, like people want those to to stay out there as part of their legacy. Um, and one thing that is. It gets to me, <laughs> um, it's disquieting is, I think, the word I want, is that, like, there's there's no guarantee that those things are going to survive. Like, they, there's no guarantee that there's actually fidelity there. And then also, it does depend on the platform how they are going to handle that according to their policy, according to their practices. And it turns out when you get a new um, CEO and, and other names that we could say, <laughs> Elon Musk, um, at, at the Twitter corporation that, like, that you can't take for granted the changes that are going to be made or that there will be no changes made. But then at the same time, you you see in Mastodon that people who are working on the Fediverse are constantly having to make choices about how to design this thing. And so your question of literacy as well, like how customizable should we make these social media platforms versus how streamlined should they be to appeal to a, a wide User base. One thing I heard in what Jonathan said is that there is also you know a barrier to use if you don't have a basic understanding of how to you know put different things together. Whereas in Twitter, it it is very intuitive, and that's part of why it's been able to take such like a power um, stance in the market in general. Uh, And and I don't know how you balance that appropriately. But yeah, I think I think the biggest thing is just like well, what do we what do we trust? What do we take for granted on these social media platforms, including their neutrality of how they handle our data and our archives of the data that we create.
1: Totally. Yeah. The example that was coming to my mind as you were speaking to was like photos and memories and sort of these like more higher stakes um, forms of data that I, I trust online. And you're totally right. Like I do not trust the two terabyte hard drive that is sitting in my desk right now as much as i trust two terabytes of my photos on like google cloud but why is that like what if google all of a sudden one day ceased to exist or decided to like up how much it costs for me to store my photos and i couldn't afford it anymore or just something happened and all these servers were wiped out like i don't actually have as much agency over their servers and their hard drives as i do over this small handheld hard drive on my desk, but I—that scares me to know that like that is in my power, that is in my control, as opposed to like it's living in this like ethereal cloud that is that belongs to like some higher power. I don't know. There's like there's a lot there. The religious undertones. Yeah, I, think- I, I know. I, I kind of that accidentally slipped out. <laughs> is this like the the big brother state? <laughs> But um, I'm speaking speaking of like power that, that was something that um, I was hoping to debrief with you a little bit too because that that theme came up a lot in the interview today as well was like the the this notion of like who holds the power on these platforms and who um, is like represented through this power on these platforms especially in terms of like identity and something that really stood out to me in what Jonathan said was um, how on Mastodon there are these like calls to assimilate to this like white tech bro culture and how assimilation is just this like inherently racist thing when we're talking about identity and race specific- specifically and ethnicity. And um, I think that's gonna be an interesting experience to navigate as we explore Mastodon for the very first time because we, we haven't been on Mastodon, right? So we we don't know what it's like in comparison to Twitter. And, um, yeah, I'm curious what your thoughts are about, about that topic specifically.
0: I am curious to hear more from colleagues that we have, especially folks who are researching and employing decolonial studies and decolonial perspectives on the adoption of new social media technologies, um, Because one thing that I'm hearing from Jonathan is that there is this echo chamber that emerges for various reasons of who's going to this new platform, when, and why. It sounds like there's some level of virtue signaling that's happening there, but then it also sounds like there's a a recreation of uh, colonialism in in various ways and in various levels. Um, And so if you're listening out there and you do do work on uh, decolonial studies in the HCI context or beyond, um, we would love for you to connect with us on Mastodon and tell us um, how this um, uh, how, how, how that might uh, be applied to expand on some of the things that Jonathan
2: brought up today. But I think I
0: have to do some more um, thinking of, about that and also some more exploration of Mastodon. There's a lot of, um, like I said, I'm scared. I'm scared of Mastodon, I'm scared of change. Um, and so I, I think that I have to uh, fa- face my fear and see what this new platform has to offer um, personally and then also um, for the podcast so i 'm interested in seeing where it goes from here, so with that, um, please do follow us, connect with us other verbs with us
1: on mastodon um, and jess and you can do that if you follow slash connect slash verb with us on mastodon at radicalaipod at hci dot social. And for more information on today's show, please visit the episode page at RadicalAI.org.
0: If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher. You can catch our regularly scheduled episodes the last Wednesday of every month
1: sometimes with some bonus episodes in between. You can join our conversation on Mastodon, one last pitch at Radical AI Pod, hci.social. You can also join our conversation on Twitter at Radical AI Pod. You can join our conversation on LinkedIn at the Radical AI Podcast. And that's all the social media so far. We're, we're putting an end to this. We're, we're capping it at three. You can also
0: follow us <laughs> on on LiveJournal and MySpace <laughs> and that other one no. that began with an X That I used that one time back in 2006. (laughs) There's, there's many places you can potentially find us on Skype. (laughs) Can you do that? I don't know. You can chat with us live on our Skype account, (laughs) hypothetically.
1: And as always,
0: stay radical.